0: Welcome to Apologetics with Brian O'Call, where in each episode I answer difficult questions that confront Christianity. In our last episode, I addressed the fact that Joseph Smith's parents involved their family in witchcraft and other occult practices. I also talked about the fact that their family was heavily involved in searching for buried treasure, and that Joseph's dad claimed to have been visited on different occasions by heavenly beings. I also addressed the fact that the Smith family believed that the Christian church as a whole was corrupt. And lastly, I shared several testimonies of what neighbors and other people acquainted with the Smith family said about them and their character. In this episode, I want to look at how Joseph Smith started the Mormon church. I want to look at the Book of Mormon and other works that the Mormon church believes to be scripture and I also want to look at several prophecies that Joseph Smith made to see if he was in fact a prophet of God. So let's begin. When and how did Mormonism begin? According to LDS History, Joseph Smith had his first vision from the Lord when he was 14. In this vision, the Lord tells him that all churches are an abomination. Three years later, at the age of 17, Joseph was visited by the angel Moroni. Moroni told Joseph about a book that was written on golden plates, but he was told to wait four years before digging it up. After four years, he dug up the plates and began translating them into what is now the Book of Mormon. According to the LDS Church, he translated the plates from Reformed Egyptian into English. However, No such language actually exists. Something that's important to note is that Mormons believe that the Book of Mormon is a volume of Holy Scripture comparable to the Bible. In fact, they believe that the Book of Mormon is more reliable and more accurate than the Bible. If you speak with a Mormon, they will confirm that they believe that the Book of Mormon contains the fullness of the gospel. To them, the Bible and Christianity is like having a high school or a junior high education, whereas the revelation that comes from the Book of Mormon and their other scripture is like having a college education. Before I move on to other sources that the LDS Church believes to be scripture, let me say one more thing about the Book of Mormon for anyone who is unfamiliar with Mormonism and the Book of Mormon. Mormons claim that the Book of Mormon is a historical account of the former inhabitants of North and Central America. In fact, in the Book of Mormon, under the section titled Testimony of the Prophet Joseph Smith, which is in the introductory section of the Book of Mormon, it says Moroni told Joseph Smith, that there was a book deposited, written on golden plates, giving an account of the former inhabitants of this continent, and the source from whence they sprang. He also said that the fullness of the everlasting gospel was contained in it, as delivered by the Savior to the ancient inhabitants. In other words, Mormons believe that Jesus Christ came to America after he rose from the dead and preached to the early inhabitants before returning to heaven. They believe that although the Bible contains the gospel, the Book of Mormon contains the full gospel and is more accurate and therefore should be considered as more important than the Bible. Although the Book of Mormon states in its introduction that the Book of Mormon gives the account of the former inhabitants of this continent, meaning North America, historical documents show that Joseph Smith believed that the ruins of ancient native civilizations in Mexico and Central America proved the historicity of the Book of Mormon. I want us to come back to this later in the series when we talk about DNA and the Book of Mormon. So back to sources that the LDS Church considers Scripture. Other volumes that the Mormon Church considers to be Scripture are Doctrines and Covenants, which is a collection of Joseph Smith's revelations and other church presidents, Pearl of a Great Price, which according to Mormon belief, it includes writings from Moses and Abraham, as well as modern writings of Joseph Smith, and lastly, they believe that there are living prophets, And they believe that the words from their living prophets are inspired and are to be seen as scripture. It's from these revelations, the Book of Mormon, Doctrines and Covenants, Pearl of a Great Price, and the words of their living prophets that come the Mormon beliefs that we saw in our first episode. The beliefs that God evolved into Godhood, that there are many gods, that man can become a God, that man earns his own salvation, and that there is no salvation outside of the LDS Church. So a question that we need to ask ourselves is, are these books or revelations from God, or are they a false gospel? Well, in order for us to answer this question, we need to first look at what God tells us in First John chapter 4, verse 1. In this verse... God warns us and tells us to test different spirits and warns us about false prophets. For example, listen to what God tells us through the Apostle John in 1 John chapter 4, verse 1. He says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. Something that's important to note from this verse is that God is warning us that there are and will be false prophets. Not only that, but He is telling us that we need to test the spirits to see whether or not they are from God. So then, how are we supposed to test these spirits? Should we test someone off of their appearance? or is there another way in which we're supposed to test these spirits to determine whether or not a person is a prophet of God or a false prophet well the answer to how we are supposed to test someone is to see whether or not they meet God's standard of being a prophet we looked at the standard several episodes ago when we looked at how we got the bible For example, in Deuteronomy chapter 18, verses 20 to 22, God gives his standard for his prophets. He tells us in these verses that the prophet who speaks a word presumptuously in my name, which I have not commanded him to speak, or which he speaks in the name of other gods, that prophet shall die. You may say in your heart, how will we know the word which the Lord Has not spoken. When a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the thing does not come about or come true, that is the thing which the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken it presumptuously. You shall not be afraid of him. In other words, these verses are showing us that the mark of a true prophet of God is that all prophecies come true whereas the mark of a false prophet is that prophecies don't come true, even if it's only one prophecy that has failed. Having this knowledge regarding God's standard for true prophets, let's now look at different prophecies that Joseph Smith made to see if he was in fact a prophet of God. The first prophecy I want us to look at is about the New Jerusalem and the temple being built in Missouri. This prophecy was given in September 1832 and comes from Doctrines and Covenants, chapter 84, verses 1-5. through Listen to what Joseph Smith says. A revelation of Jesus Christ unto his servant Joseph Smith Jr. and six elders, as they united their hearts and lifted their voices on high, yea, the word of the Lord concerning his church, established in the last days for the restoration of his people, as he has spoken by the mouth of his prophets, and for the gathering of his saints to stand upon Mount Zion, which shall be the city of New Jerusalem, which city shall be built beginning at the temple lot, which is appointed by the finger of the Lord in the western boundaries of the state of Missouri, and dedicated by the hand of Joseph Smith, Jr., and others with whom the Lord was well pleased. Verily, this is the word of the Lord, that the city, New Jerusalem, shall be built by the gathering of the saints, beginning at this place, even the place of the temple, which temple shall be reared in this generation." For verily this generation shall not pass away, until a house shall be built unto the Lord, and a cloud shall rest upon it, which cloud shall be even the glory of the Lord, which shall fill the house. In this prophecy, Joseph Smith prophesied that the new Jerusalem, along with its temple, will be built in Independence, Missouri. Not only that, but Joseph Smith claimed that it would be done in this generation, meaning his generation, the generation that he was talking to. He claimed to be speaking from God and that this generation shall not pass away until the temple is built. The problem with this prophecy, though, is that the generation that Joseph Smith was writing to died a long time ago without seeing the temple being built. In fact, it's been more than 180 years since this prophecy, and the temple has still not been built. Besides this, there's other issues with this prophecy. As mentioned in Doctrines and Covenants, chapter 84, verses 2-3, through it mentions the New Jerusalem being in Missouri. Something you have to realize is that when Joseph Smith made this prophecy in 1832, Israel no longer existed. The Jewish nation had been completely destroyed, and they hadn't existed in over 2,000 years. So to Joseph Smith, America was God's new chosen people. And it probably seemed like a safe bet to say that God would establish the New Jerusalem, and a temple in America, in Independence, Missouri. However, a very significant event happened in 1948, which threw an unexpected curveball at Joseph Smith's prophecy that God would create a New Jerusalem in Independence, Missouri. The significant event that I'm talking about is that God resurrected the nation Israel after being absent for over 2,000 years. It's the first time in human history that a nation, which had been completely destroyed, has come back. And in 1948, that's exactly what God did when he brought Israel back on the map. This is another major problem for Joseph Smith. Why? Because there is no longer a need for a new Jerusalem to be built in America. Another problem with this prophecy? comes in verse 3, where it says that the temple will be dedicated by the hand of Joseph Smith. As I mentioned, the temple has never been built, and Joseph Smith died, which means that he cannot dedicate the temple with his own hand. Verses 4 and 5 present more difficulties. In these verses, it says that the temple will be built in this generation, and that this generation won't pass away until it's been built. As mentioned, that generation died over 180 years ago, and the temple has still not been built. Now, I should point out that whenever I've spoken to Mormons about this prophecy, and Joseph Smith prophesying that this generation will not pass away, they argue that in the Bible the word generation can mean a long span of time. They argue that when Joseph Smith said generation, he meant a long span of time, and that therefore he is not a false prophet. The problem with the Mormon counterargument is that although it's true that the Hebrew and Greek words for generation could mean a long span of time, we need to see what the word meant when Joseph Smith made this prophecy. For example. The word nice that we use today comes from the late 13th century and originally meant foolish, stupid, or senseless. It comes from the Latin word nicias, which meant ignorant or literally not knowing. So with that in mind, if I were to post something on Facebook today or write a blog and mention that this week I went and taught a class to a nice group of people, A hundred years from now, or a hundred and eighty years from now, if someone were to read an archived copy of my Facebook or blog post from today, would they think that I was insulting my audience based on what the word nice meant in the 13th century? The answer to this is obvious. There is no way that someone in the future would think that me talking about my audience as being nice is in any way insulting to them based on what the word meant hundreds of years before my time. So then, back to Joseph Smith's prophecy. What do we need to take into account? Well, we need to take into account the date that these statements were made, and what the word meant at the time that the statement was made. For my audience to hear me say that something is nice— they will understand that I am describing something that is pleasing, agreeable, or delightful. My audience would understand this because this is what the word means today. So then, what did the word generation mean at the time that Joseph Smith made his prophecy? As I mentioned earlier, this prophecy was made in 1832. According to Noah Webster's 1828 Dictionary, the term generation meant the people of the same period or living at the same time. In other words, when Joseph Smith said that this generation will not pass away until the temple has been built, he was referring to and meant the people of the same time period as him. Therefore. With each of these problems that I've just pointed out, it's clear that this was a failed prophecy by Joseph Smith. The next prophecy that I want us to look at is regarding Christ's return. This prophecy comes from the historical records that come from BYU. This particular prophecy comes from BYU's website under Volume 5, Chapter 17, Page 336, Joseph Smith made this prophecy on April 6th, 1843. Listen to what Joseph Smith said. He said that there are those of the rising generation who shall not taste death till Christ comes. It's been over 175 years since Joseph Smith made this prophecy. Not only did the rising generation die and not see Christ's return, But there have been additional generations who have come and gone who have still not seen Christ return. This is another example of a failed prophecy by Joseph Smith. The last prophecy that I want to address in this episode is one that Joseph Smith made regarding his son. This prophecy comes from Dr. Michael Quinn's book, Mormon Hierarchy. If you recall, Dr. Quinn used to teach history at Brigham Young University, which is the top Mormon university established by Mormons and supported by the LDS Church. In April and May of 1844, Joseph Smith made a prophecy that his unborn child would be called David and will be a church president and king over Israel. However, According to historical records, although Joseph named his son David, his son was never church president and king over Israel. In fact, historian Dr. Valene Tippets Avery pointed out in her book, From Mission to Madness, Last Son of the Mormon Prophet, that Joseph's son David died in 1904 at the age of 60. Not only that, but that he spent the end of his life and an asylum for the insane. Something to note is that Dr. Avery wasn't some random person attacking the Mormon Church. She was a scholar and historian who even served as president of the Mormon History Association and wrote several biographical books dealing with Joseph Smith, Emma Smith, and the book that I just referenced, Dealing with David Smith. Based on what I've just mentioned about Joseph Smith's son David, it is clear that Joseph's prophecy about his son failed, and that this is another clear example of a failed prophecy given by Joseph Smith. There are many other prophecies that I could share. However, it's clear from each of the prophecies that I have mentioned in this episode that Joseph Smith was not a prophet of God, but was in fact a false prophet. I now want to turn our attention from the topic of prophecy to the Bible that Joseph Smith wrote called the Inspired Version of the Bible, which we'll have to do in our next episode. That's all the time that we have for today. Come back next time as we look at Joseph Smith's version of the Bible, as well as how the Book of Mormon was translated from the Golden Plates. God bless.